Hello, and welcome to Myths and Stories, a podcast about Destiny 2 lore. Uh, we are continuing our coverage of the history of the Awoken. Uh, we've done, I mean, this this is probably one of the, it's definitely one of the bigger projects that we've covered. Uh, the only other huge project that we've done was the, the Books of Sorrow. Uh, but yeah, this one is this one is really really big, and there's a lot to it, and a lot of integral things and that that happen throughout this storyline, uh, mainly centered around Mara uh, and her brother Uldren, uh, and we've talked very extensively about both of them and their time uh, pre-collapse uh, into the distributary, which is the original Awoken. I guess you call it home universe. <laughs> kind of more the more than a home world, uh, an entire universe there, uh, and then back to the soul system, and then kind of rediscovering what's going on in the soul system since being back. Uh, last time we left off on, I'm pretty sure we left off uh, halfway through a lore card, didn't we, Myth? Yeah, so we had covered the uh, first part of the lore card, Revanche Five, um, which is part of the Awoken of the Reef book. Uh, which had talked about the um, division between the Awoken that returned to the soul system uh, and the, the dividing of ideals or, or of ideas on how to pursue those ideals, uh, where there were now the Earthborn Awoken, as they became called, which are the ones that wanted to help humanity immediately as soon as they arrived in the soul system, and they split off the rest of the Awoken to do so, uh, with those remaining under Mara's leadership wanting to establish themselves uh, and learn more about this new universe they were in before offering aid, uh, became known as the Reefborn Awoken. Uh, and so you had the once Riven Awoken were Riven again, uh, hence the the twice riven uh, statement, and uh, that's that's how you also have ended up with awoken guardians for the most for the most part is uh, over the course you know it, it's hard to get an exact timeline but there's definitely a quite large periods of time between some of these events, uh, and as such. Awoken have died on Earth, uh, as well as elsewhere. But on Earth, they the Earthborn Awoken over the years mingled and you know had children with human with uh, the humans that were there, or um, amongst other you know Earthborn Awoken. And generally speaking, the the populace kind of just mixed with what was already there. Uh, we are going to be starting tonight on the second half of the Revanche 5 lore card, uh, which talks um, not about the uh, far-off future or, or the, the future of those peoples that mingled and, and became a populace in and of themselves. It kind of reels us back into what's happening shortly after that division and what the Reefborn Awoken have to deal with and uh, how they decide to go forward with establishing themselves uh, with returning to their their home universe. Yeah. Well, and I, it's, I think it's a, an important thing to note here. 
um, when when we say the term earthborn or reefborn, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they were born in that area. Uh, certainly, the reefborn now, uh, since having come through the portal and and, and being riven a second time and establishing themselves on the reef, uh, obviously there are babies being born of the awoken people on the reef. But uh, as far as like the earthborn, uh, they they it, it's almost like a uh, what type of name would you call that? Like a um, not a not a colloquial name. I can't I can't think of it. Well, it's like a loving name, like a um, saying that they are earthborn. Um, yeah, it's it's just a way that they're distinguishing themselves at first, and then eventually the the earthborn awoken kind of forget the reefborn even exist over generations. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but yeah, it's it's a way just to kind of distinguish the two groups from each other because they do uh, have very different lifestyles. Yep. Uh, and then of course the 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 mention of Riven. Uh, now is is we it's said in the lore that the word Riven uh, means a dividing of people. Is that an actual definition myth, or is that a is that just a a bungee made up word? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's an actual uh, word. Yeah, so uh, Riven driving from Riv or Rive, uh, which is to split or tear apart. So even if it's a made-up well, word, it's, it's pretty pretty close. It's pretty it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll call it. Yeah. So yeah, so that's uh, um, that's where we're at now. Is uh, the the people have split twice and. History, hist the world keeps turning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, to get started with tonight, uh, our readings again. This we're gonna do on start with Revanche Five. I'm gonna read, um, kind of the the last line that we left off on before, and then we'll get into the second half of this card, uh, and we'll go from there. But this one starts then like this. They've made a difference already, Shear told Mara, not long after the first Awoken made Planetfall on Earth. They'll save so many lives just with the provisions of medicine, water, construction supplies, and even if they all died by year's end, they would each yield ten or twenty humans. I know, Mara said with bitter pride. Let the people remember them as saints and paladins and tell no one how many more they might have saved if they had only kept the faith. For she knew the precious value of each awoken life. She knew how many she would have to spend, and mourned each soul wasted on a lesser purpose. On the day the fallen struck, Mara was proclaimed queen. It happened swiftly, though after no little debate among the people for everyone was afraid of a monarchy who could speak to their thoughts. Yet they feared more to deny her power and sovereignty, for they had come between the worlds in her name. To refuse her would to be refused their choice. Awoken, she told them. For the first time in my life, I hesitated to reach for power. And now one in three of you are gone. I cannot deny 
what the cosmos has made of me any longer. I am your one and rightful queen. She knew she had been a fool to pretend to be a peer to the others. What was true of her brother was true of all Awoken. They needed secrets to marvel at, secrets that rhymed with the deep enigma of their souls. They could not follow what they fully understood. There would be a formal coronation later, in a place not yet built. Out of respect for that unhappened coronation, Mara did not at first wear a crown, and later she claimed as her diadem the ring of event horizon that surrounds the observable universe. My Techians, she said, gathering Kelda Waj and the other Utex who'd remained, will be given absolute authority to explore our new power, the Traveler's Relics, and all associated domains. We are no longer in the realm of pure science. We require an order of mysteries and witches to tend to them. Not an hour later, a fallen catch threw off its stealth and began a declaration burn towards four Vesta. The four-armed predators had traced one of the earthward ships back through all its erratic course changes to the reef. They came in search of the source of these blue ape kin. A salvo of coherent matter guns gutted the catch. Blink-quick death for the mighty ship, ancient fury compressing matter into a relativistic pinhead. It was a waste of weapons that couldn't be recharged or reloaded, and the baron in command had already scattered his skiffs like camouflage seeds. The fallen raiders came down all over the reef and cut their way inside. The awoken, young to mortality, terrified of death, fled in fear. Mara, Aldrin, and Shior Ido rallied as many as they could. Shior fought in a powered combat shell, but Mara needed to be seen vulnerable. Silver-haired and narrow-eyed, hurling herself at the enemy. She fought with pistol and dagger, and her brother moved like a wraith at her flank. Her people were ashamed of their timidity. No more were the fallen scuttling alien predators. Now they were an indignity, an offense to regal privilege to be met with a snarl and a rifle shot. The Awoken saw their desperation, how the stump-limbed dregs stumbled forward emaciated, how the vandals cringed from battle as they peeled off wall panels, desperate for salvage to please their captains. Armored Shira Ido met the fallen Baron in zero-gravity combat above his spider tank and shot him dead, one adamantite shaft through the plate and throat. Ether hissed into vacuum. Shior threw herself upon the spider tank and clung to the sacred fire's hull. Laughing in joy, she cut into the tank's barrel and threw a charge inside, knowing its next vengeful shot would be meant for the sacred fire's main habitat drum, and that she would die in the catastrophic misfire. The tank fired. The charge detonated. Shior Ido was thrown clear, utterly unharmed. That was where I should have died, she said in wonder, and in her mind was the smiling face 
of her queen. And that's the end of that one. So yeah, this is uh this is the beginning of the Reforce. This is uh um so the fallen had had basically traced back a path to the reef because the since the awoken are definitely um since coming to the reef doing as much exploring and and figuring out as much as possible um i mean hell they they already know their magic uh they now have a, a whole group of people techians now that they are being referred to as uh to explore that that magic that you know what does this do and and now is is this magic are are we calling this paracausal power? Uh yeah. I mean the the awoken themselves call it paracausal or, or a causal. A causal, right. That's um, right. Um in previous chapters. So yeah. Yep. So yeah. So they're 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 paracausal. Which is interesting too, because uh I guess there there hasn't really been a paracausal ability or a, a paracausal being um short of the traveler. Um, or I guess the darkness during the collapse. Uh, and so now we're starting to see more and more and more of them. Obviously, the uh, the collapse has happened, so the ghosts have been released. So we're seeing the the paracausal. Um, uh, I guess right now they're. I guess they technically be warlords now. Yeah, risen. Passed the risen into warlord. Yeah. So risen warlords uh, on the on on Earth, uh, and now of course the the awoken themselves out in the reef. Uh, so yeah, so we're starting to see the magic or the magic, the paracausal abilities uh, come into play now. Um, Reefor's happening. Catch follow, follows a trail back to the uh, back to the reef. Start, you know, they the the awoken still have these the the matter guns that they brought from the distributary, but uh, and they stayed it here. You know, they can't be reloaded or recharged or anything, so it's kind of a waste that they shoot down one cloaked ship or one ship that gets uncloaked and then you know the baron which as far as uh fallen uh hierarchy is i think just below a kel i believe so yeah right yeah so he scatters his his forces before they can get any more shots in so now it's kind of like now they're wasting ammo and then they come back essentially tenfold (laughs) and start just start wrecking face uh uh all over the reef and and mara's area or the the Awoken's area. Uh, and then the one important thing that happened here is uh, uh, Shirido taking on a spider tank. Uh, and we all know that feeling, right? Like, you know, you're in the middle of Vow and you're you're tearing through enemies and then they do a call out and you're just like, okay, give me a second. I got to deal with the Unstoppable, the Taken Knight, the three ads over here, the Fallen Walker that came down and the two spider tanks that just showed up. Yeah, I'll be there in a second. So I... I mean, I get it. Taking on a spider tank's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty rough. Um, and this was where she thought she was gonna die. Like she, and not just thought. Like this was where she foresaw she was gonna die. Uh, so she, you know, did exactly what she saw in her vision. Popped a hole in it, threw a charge in there, uh, down the down the down the barrel, uh, into the breach, let it misfire, explode, and she thought she was gonna die, and she gets thrown clear utterly unharmed confused as hell and the only thing that she sees is 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 mara's smiling face so mara actively used some sort of paracausal ability to stop sheer ido from dying yeah and uh 
we had seen that Mara was very adamant uh, in the previous chapters and in, in last week's episode about like Sheer had shared with her this vision that she had had of of her death and had had come to terms with it. With you know, essentially had come to the deciding of like that's where I go out. I go out defending our people and making sure they stay alive. And you know, I'm I'm okay with that. Uh and and she did you know the this uh this tank that she ended up killing was aimed at the sacred fire which is the ship the the uh, derelict ship that they are currently using as a, a a home base for their people um and it was aimed at the main habitat drum which based on the name i can only assume is where a large majority of the awoken civilians were living uh yeah so if she had not jumped in and done this, it would have meant potentially the end of the Awoken populace in the Reef uh, before sure. they even really got to do anything. Def- definitely a, definitely a, a, a possible catastrophic event for the, for the oh, Awoken absolutely. that, that Shiraido just completely prevented and, and again, foresaw the whole thing and didn't die <laughs> which again i this i i liked it i like that uh it talked about her seeing mara's smiling face because again we we already knew that the the and i i still refer to it as the love between them is is growing and growing and growing they're growing more and more close together and this is probably the one uh awoken um that has truly become uh, closest to Mara without it being one-sided, right? Because Aldrin's very close to Mara, but it's very one-sided. Yeah, no, I I would definitely agree that Sheer Ido is probably the closest relationship Mara has ever had, as far as we've seen described. I think so. I mean, because I'm I'm thinking of like her relationship between herself and Alice Lee, and that was that was one-sided on both sides of it uh the the relationship between her and her mother that was very very one-sided uh it felt like again on both sides of it uh with mara saying you know i i don't really want to be i I don't want to be your daughter but i'm not mad that i'm your daughter type thing and so yeah and then yeah now aldrin and 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 sheer so yeah uh it's no surprise that uh mara saves the love of her life um (laughs) <laughs> with just a boop yeah i would i wonder if that's how it happened too right like i wonder if that was like a, <laughs> she's just, she's just in her mind just boop boops her on the nose and that's what like pushes her away and it's like a cosmic boop that you know with a, a concussive blast that just happens to also have a shield around it or something i don't know that'd be kind of cute i mean it probably wasn't anything super major because we we have not seen any reference at this point of mara having like far-reaching you know telekinesis or like we we've only or or the awoken um that are studying their paracausal abilities have only ever seen or recorded like things on a molecular level molecular level are changing um it's not oh sure it's not necessarily a like hey we have awoken that can move shit with their mind it was a yeah when we pass energy through us it comes out different we don't really know why how or why or what but like these atoms are different when they come when they go pass through us depending on our mood 
uh, and it's the strongest in the presence of Mara. Um, yeah. And so to have, for Mara to have potentially in a moment of desperation um, or just a moment of extreme, you know, emotion of, of want for protect this person uh, to have a much more significant change happen uh, is pretty telling, I think, of the Mara's power compared to everyone else's or perhaps the oh, sure. potential of Awoken power in general that just many don't can't use as as proficiently, maybe. Yeah, I like that. So the other uh, little tidbits here that I thought were interesting. Um, the first is this is Mara truly stepping up and saying, I am your queen. I will hold the responsibility for everybody here. And not everyone is okay with that. Uh, it says, for everyone was afraid of a monarch who could speak to their thoughts. They all know she can read their mind to a degree and can broadcast her own thoughts into their heads. And the thought of being ruled by somebody with those abilities is a little unnerving. Uh, but they... I mean, understandably, right? Right. says, yet they feared more to deny her power and sovereignty, for they had come between worlds in her name. And to refuse her would be to refuse their choice. So they, they kind of like what Mara had said to herself internally um, last time when she was approached um, and was asked, like, who died and made you queen? <laughs> internally, her thought process was, you all chose mortality and your own deaths by following me. You made me queen. Uh, yep. And this is now the people kind of acknowledging that as well that that line of who you know who died and made you queen and she, her her line in her head was everyone yeah all of you you all you all did <laughs> inadvertently but kind of directly <laughs> right the other little bit that i think is um just interesting to to think about uh the awoken at the beginning of this fight are are I don't want to say cowardly. I don't think that's necessarily the right word, but uh, they can now die for the first time in a very long time. Mortality is a very real thing for them, and they have not seen warfare at all since the Theodicy War, who knows how many thousands of years ago in the distributary. And to suddenly be met with very violent uh, invasion shortly after coming into this this new uh universe this new realm uh there were a lot of them that were were scared to the point of abandoning their posts and it took mara and aldrin and sheer but mara especially going out into the fray unarmored completely vulnerable to kind of like cull her people and be like your your leader, your queen is fighting out there as vulnerable as can be, and yet you're you know you're hiding away, and that kind of that that pushes them to be like, no, we can, we can be better. Uh, yeah, kind of like if she, if she can do it, and she's the queen of all of us, unarmored and everything. Like she right. she she doesn't at she's not immortal, or at least I don't think she is. 
Uh, so it's for her to for her to be seen up front is definitely more of a is she's taking on more of that leader role, more of that queen role, that that lead from the front uh, mentality. So I yeah yeah, yeah I I like that. Um. So this this is the opening battle of what becomes known as the Reef Wars, uh, which extends a, a quite a large period of time, um, and is not wholly in the Awoken's favor for quite some time. Uh, there's a, a couple of particularly devastating attacks that are made against them. Um, and one of those attacks uh, comes at the hands of a, uh, a fallen baroness known as... Drevis the Wolf Baroness. I was gonna ask, is this wolf in in the sense of House of Wolves, like a Baron of the House of Wolves, or like a hunter of the House of Wolves? The ha- yeah, because she's part of the Silent Fang. So she's part of the okay. the House of Wolves' like uh elite force, I guess. Sure. For lack of a better term. Like their special forces or something like that. Right. And uh, and I, I want to point out her in particular and some of the things that, that she does because not only are, does it kind of showcase uh, how much the, the Fallen were doing in this war against the Awoken, but also uh, brings about a motivator for someone that we introduced, that everyone knows now, but we introduced in the Awoken timeline last episode. Um, so to to speak briefly on Drevis, uh, this comes from the lore card literally called Wanted Drevis Wolf Baroness, uh, which is part of the Myriad book. After a string of defeats at Amethyst, at Hygia, arguably at Iris, Prince Aldrin's crows finally made headway against the wolf's encryption. They quickly discovered seemingly unimportant piece of information. The House of Wolves had incorrectly calculated the eighth eccentricity of the asteroid Bomberga. So Paladin Imogen Rife chased Drevis Wolf Baroness directly into Bomberga's trajectory. Drevis's catch was destroyed and both she and her high servitor were captured. This was the first decisive reef victory since the scatter. Wow. They yeah. they really were getting They were getting <laughs> getting their shit kicked in <laughs> a little bit. Um you know, they took out uh, three colonies of the Awoken, Amethyst, Hygieia, and Iris. And Amethyst in particular is important because from the, the, the not lore card, but the flavor text, I guess, of the wanted Drevis uh, bounty, we get this little snippet from Petra. And she says, Drevis led a strike of Silent Fang in the rays of Amethyst. An attack which killed my sisters. Show her no mercy. From Petrovenge. Uh, Interesting. So that attack, that that raising of this uh, colony or town or whatever called Amethyst, um, is what ended up causing the, the death of Petra's sister, who we learned last week was a very was a a, a very promising. Techian uh, candidate, and uh, it, it is that uh, that loss of life 
that actually ends up driving Petra to later down the road become a corsair and and want to seek revenge against these these fallen. And I was going to ask is is um I I know that her she obviously she had a sister and all that but uh does the does the lore entry itself say sister or sisters plural uh cuz I was curious if it if she's talking about more than just her personal sister whereas like you know if you're an awoken traveling through the dreaming city right now in game they refer to you as sister uh or brother or you know I guess less of a family sense but but as a you know we're all one awoken people type thing yeah um the lore card does say sisters plural uh okay so it could very well be referring to just the techians that were in training there as a whole um but definitely her sister was part of that definitely like, her sister was part of that yeah okay so uh just giving some some indication of how their uh you know how their their plight was going and and kind of during this fight this motivation for petra uh you know begins and uh coming back to this initial battle though um we see some of the aftermath from it from the next lore card which is called telic one and it is in the book uh the awoken of the reef again say i don't know that there's any particular meaning no it does okay so uh the word telic means um expressing a goal or a purpose uh so you you are resolved to meet some end some some you know goal well and real quick before we dive into this all all the names that that we've been pulling from this from or not pulling from but all the names of these different books uh what's the are they all like Latin words? Are they all what's do we know the origins of any of these words? Uh that is a good question. Um most of them have been Latin, but then again, so is most of languages in general. Uh, <laughs> sure. Sure. Um certainly any any romance language. Uh this one does not say if it has a root word in a different language, at least not the definition I have up. Um, but it, it is an English word, which usually means there's a Latin root somewhere. Right. I was, I was just curious if like, if, if this is a, uh, cause all of this is being told, uh, from Mara, like all of these, uh, well, I guess, uh, I guess we're, now we're out of the Mara Senna book. We're into the, the, reef book but i think that one is still very much told from mara's point of view for the most part um or it's either told from her point of view or it's told mostly about her but sometimes you know as a a third party you know like the the third person reader kind of view right and i i I was just curious if if there was any significance in in all of these being latin-based words or or anything like that i don't know if there is other than just most words tend to be uh sure outside sure. of i think the, the like eastern asian um yeah it, it's it definitely doesn't have a theme the same way that like the greek influence titles did in the glycon or, or anything quite like that gotcha gotcha okay perfect yeah that's that was that was what i was curious of okay 
Yeah. So uh, this brings us to, again, that's Telic 1 in the Awoken of the Reef book. Um, this is the events kind of directly after that initial battle uh, at the end of Ravanche 5. And it goes like this. Mara made one more attempt, and only one, to call her scattered people home. She had hoped the assault would convince them they had a responsibility to the reef, to come home and repair the damage they had caused. It went poorly, however, for her tech witches were able to amplify her bond to her people through the augments Kelda had developed. She was only one voice in a maelstrom. Her awoken had sensitive antenna, in the metaphysical sense, and could not hear her plea through the clamor. Also, the communications engineer kept forgetting to call Mara Majesty or Queen. Good news, Aldrin told her with the grim delight he always showed after a debacle he had survived. Ilan and I went through the fallen communication logs. Their baron never transmitted our position to his Kel. He wanted the prize to himself, to remain secure. Or we remain secure. The Baron might have planted a time-delayed beacon, Mara warned him. Never underestimate these beings. They've lived in the void much longer than us. Oh, I already admire them, Aldrin confessed. They've lost so much. Some of them even ritually dismember themselves, Mara, to prove that they have the strength to grow back the missing limbs. I tell you that even if we are doomed to dwindle and go extinct, those fallen may outlive us. Mara made a dry note in her log that her brother had at last discovered his true people. For her part, Shir Ido wandered about in a daze, filled with joy to be alive and grief that she no longer knew the day she would die. In you, all things are possible, she told Mara. I live because of you. When Mara saw her string her mighty bow, the limbs coiled behind her leg and around her opposite arm, she was glad beyond telling that Shur had survived. In time, Mara appointed paladins to oversee her new military, as Alice Lee had done during the Theodicy War. She created talented starfarers as corsairs to scour the asteroid belt in the utmost secrecy and to establish routes and caches that would support the covert motion of awoken ships. Most of all, she charged her brother with the mission that occupied her thoughts. Brother, she said, Never again can I allow my people to be divided. We must offer them more than shielding ice and cold habitat cylinders and the warrens of Vesta. We must make a culture, a thread that binds us all in pride and wonder at the mystery of ourselves. Nowhere does culture flourish better than in a city. Gather in one place, Aldrin warned her, and you make yourself a target. Mara had considered this and found an answer. Go forth and find me a power unknown to all the other powers of this world. Return it to me, and I shall make of it the cornerstone of my new city, where the Awoken shall dream of all they have been and all that is yet to come.
So Aldrin went out voyaging among the worlds, swift as a blue shift ghost. In time, he returned to the reef with a creature not larger than his hand, saying, Behold, sister, the lie that makes itself truth. This is an Ahimkara. And that's the end of that chapter. Yeah! Space magic! Uh, so yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, like, the the beginning of that is very much, uh, she's one, she's, she's still, she still has hope for, for her people to, to come back as one, uh, but this, but this is, like, the last, kind of, like, the last call, right? Like, it's, like, you know, if, if they come, they come, if they don't, that's that's it. I'm not going to make any further attempts. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, Aldrin's very excited that, or not excited, Aldrin is is very pleased that, uh, or at least seemingly pleased until Mara corrects him <laughs> that uh, you know their position is safe. Uh, the barons themselves are kind of a not necessarily greedy um, of members of the of fallen society but they they're very much uh prideful so uh this particular baron wanted the wanted the you know wanted the prize all to herself to i would i would think to to try to like say look i could become a kel too because i took down this people well <laughs> spoiler alert you didn't <laughs> and they all got wiped out yeah. uh but uh uh you know even here we start to see the uh the 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 kindred spirit between Aldrin and the and the fallen people or or the or the I don't know do we refer to him as fallen now or or do we do we refer to him as elixir now I mean at this point in time they are mostly referred to as fallen and I I I think the distinction that's made in game currently is that the the elixir are those that are trying to retain their previous culture or adapt it in some way to this new place whereas the fallen are those that are abandoning that old elixir culture in the pursuit of you know material wealth and power via ether and are are you know the roaming space pirates versus those right. that are actually trying to make something of themselves beyond that. Okay, so yeah, so Mara makes the note that, and Aldrin says as much. You know, I already admire him, and he's he's definitely comparing them to himself. Like they they dismember themselves to prove they have the strength to grow back missing limbs. That's that's Aldrin to a T, right? Like he measures himself mm-hmm. through everything he can survive so this is just this is just Aldrin you know like this is Aldrin's people um and then of course uh Mara talks about Shirado kind of being confused like she was so convinced she was gonna die at 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 that battle and now it's just a you know she she doesn't really know what direction to go and this is yeah, th- this is something that um, is interesting, and I've seen, not personally, uh, but I, I have seen the sentiment um, 
expressed in the real world uh where people are uh not not to be grim but where someone is diagnosed with uh something terminal in you know, the one example i can think of is a, a, a terminal cancer um they kind of know how much time they probably have left and they use that time to to you know do whatever they feel they need to do uh and then in some very rare instances that person just goes into remission you know uh you know some things happen beyond medical uh explanation or or uh the very low 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 percent ends up being the the thing that happens and now you have someone that came to terms with and has sorted their affairs and has lived everything they thought they were going to live suddenly be given an unknown amount of time to continue and and on one hand that's exhilarating and that's exciting and on the other hand it's you you don't know what to do with it uh very 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 mixed emotions there right and i i based on what they're saying here it's the same kind of thing for sure like she knew this is when i go out this is how i go out i can do you know i i have all these possibilities before me until that point and she had come to terms with that and and now she has so much more available it's it, it, it she's struggling with what do i do with this and one of the things that she uh I guess latches onto is this idea of Mara, you make the impossible possible. I'm only here because of you. Yeah. So it's, it's the beginnings of almost a reverence towards Mara, um, which we'll see kind of explored even further in, in uh, another chapter or two here uh but yeah that's kind of the the startings of that yeah and then of course the (laughs) the i I start to call it elephant in the room but i'm just gonna call it the dragon in the room (laughs) mara you know mara's like we've got to we've got to create a place for ourselves right like we've got to find we've got to we got to stop living this this life of of just um wandering and and surviving uh and and Aldrin's kind of like well you know if you if you plant roots now you've become a target now you're now you're you're kind of set there right like it's it might be a bad thing to be that way uh and so she's like well and it's it her wording here is very interesting Go forth and find me a power unknown to all the other powers of this world. Return it to me, and I shall make of it the cornerstone of my new city, where the Awoken shall dream of all they have been uh, and all that is yet to come. Does she know that Ahamkaras exist? It kind of sounds like it. Otherwise, that is just a ludicrous request to make. Right. Like that's just absolute crazy talk. Yeah, like yeah, it hey, if we build a city, we're a really big target, you know, unless she knew something saying like, well then find something that makes us not a target. Seems yeah. just 
kind of crazy. Um, yeah. It is interesting if we assume that she does know that something, she might not know exactly what Nahamkara is or, or how it works, but she knows may, perhaps that there is a power out there that can accomplish this. Um, it's interesting that she would be knowledgeable of it before anybody else, because at this point, the, the, you know, risen on earth have no knowledge of Ahamkara that, that we know of at least, um, the great hunts have not happened at this point or, or anything like that. Um, and so now we're like, and, and, Potentially the nine are not aware of them either. I don't know if the nine are, are even coherent yet. Uh say <laughs> the nine are the nine. They <laughs> Yeah, who, who knows? But um but regardless, she makes this request of Aldrin, seemingly knowing that he'll come back with results, and he does. With a creature no larger than his hand. This is an Ahamkara. Uh, the beginning of Wish Dragons. The beginning of a lot of things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, both of these ideas of Riven, um, or the Ahamkara that we will come to know as Riven, and this growing reverence for Mara, um, probably amongst a, a large portion of the crew, but at the very least uh with from sheer um with both of those ideas kind of in our heads we move to the next chapter which is going to be telic 2 uh and that one goes like this it was mara alone who established a covenant with that young ahamkara which chose the use name riven in honor of its host it was mara alone whose singular will and unity of purpose saved the Awoken from that which we now name the Anthem Anatheme. From there was in Mara very little division between reality as is and reality as desired. She was confident in her centuries of purpose and patience with the winding way by which the river of methods reached the objective ocean. Blessed are those who in their absolute selfhood become selfless. Unappetizing are those who in their truest self-knowledge exclude the possibility of self-deceit. Mara, said Aldrin, Queen's brother, why do you forbid me from speaking to the Ahamkara? This secret is mine alone, said Mara, Queen. She knew that her brother had only widened the gap between he as was and he as he would be. Be gone to the outer world where I require thee. This was when Shiraido, having spoken to Keldawaj and to Asilia, at last came before her queen. Kneeling, she said, Your Majesty, Keldawaj says you are a god, for there is no difference between your desire and reality. Yet I know that you desire things before they ever become real. Acelia says that you are keeping a secret from your brother that he must never know. I think the secret is thus, 
that you are now a god, because one day you will become one, and a god is not temporal. Your brother is not a god, because he will never become one. So shall I worship you? Sure, Mara said, falling to her knees, clutching her beloved's face between shaking hands. Sure, on the day you worship me, you cannot love me anymore. For to worship is to yield all power, and I cannot love what has no power over me. At this, the Ahamkara coiled round her neck, yawned, and showed its fangs. For there was a crevice between what was and what was wanted. I see, Sheer said. Then to me you are not yet a god. Although in time, the knowledge of what Mara would become pushed them apart. It was a kind and happy push, as a friend might urge a beloved companion onward to a distant opportunity, and their days together were spent gladly. And that's the end of that card. So, the Wish Dragon has chosen the name Riven in honor of its people being Riven. Uh, it, it's This first paragraph is talking about how it's like intrigued with Mara because and and this this takes a little bit of explaining of of what ahamkara is and kind of how they work to to understand why it is intrigued with mara so quick history on on ahamkara and we'll i, I know we'll go in more in depth with this uh but they are dragons uh that operate on desire and make desire reality but in like monkey paw magic wishing so it you could desire a million bucks and Riven would grant you a house full of deer. And that would be or like a house full of deer that would kill you in a day. Something crazy, right? So it's it's very much it 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 brings your desires to reality. But for Mara, when it gets near Mara, this particular Ahamkara Riven can't it, it it can't do anything and that's the 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 wishes that are happening the the desires being granted it's feeding them they are they are actively feeding off of this and it's sustaining the ahamkara and when this when riven gets around mara it can't do that it mara already sees things like mara doesn't desire anything it doesn't seem like or at least i, I don't want to say it doesn't desire anything Mara, in this sense, already has that level of, if I see something, I know it's going to happen the exact way it's going to happen, which kind of leads back to the previous book of, did she, did she know that her brother was going to find some crazy unknown power and bring it home? Like, it, it very much seems that way because of, because of this. And the Ahamkara, Riven, can't feed off of Mara because of that. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's <laughs> kind of fucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then of course she's forbidding Aldrin to talk to this thing because that 
that would just be a, I mean, Aldrin's just full of desires. Like wanting the, the, the biggest desire I think is wanting to please his sister. And that's a, that's kind of a dangerous thing. <laughs> like what does, what does pleasing my sister mean? The, what we talked about before, like being addicted to her approval. Um, well, we, we see exactly what that can lead to with the campaign of Forsaken. Right. <laughs> like, and we'll get there. That's, that's down the road. Um, so that's definitely something to kind of keep in mind uh, that she doesn't want Aldrin anywhere near this thing. Uh, and then it comes to Shiraido, who, and I love this line that she uses. Um, she she says she it's I think the secret is thus like she she knows she's keeping a secret from her brother she Sheer knows that Mara is keeping a secret from Ultron and Sheer thinks this is the secret you are now a god because one day you will become a god and a god is not temporal your brother is not a god because he will never become a god shall I worship you? Like, that line of thought is, to me, was was very interesting. And then, of course, Mara's response of, no. Like, almost in tears, right? Like, breaking down to, to Sheer saying, you know, the day you worship me, you can't love me. And... I can't love something that has no power over me. So, or, or that has, uh, yeah, that I cannot love what has no power over me because you're yielding all your power by worshiping, worshiping that thing. So it's even, even Mara sees this like connection between the two of them as, as definitely no longer one-sided. It's, this is, this is a very open relationship between the two of them. Um, but even then, like even Sheer's response to that response, okay, then you're not yet a god to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. is, is she still kind of seeing that that god that godliness about Mara? Because again, it, it leading kind of going back to the whole idea that when Mara, it it almost seems like Mara has Ahamkara magic. When she thinks something, when she wants something to be, it is. You know, there's no distinction between. Uh, or there's very little division between reality as is and reality as desired for Mara. And I, I think I think there's there's a couple of things we can we can grab onto there. Um, so and this this goes back to what Sheer is saying. Um, you are now a god because one day you will become one, and God is not a god is not temporal. So my interpretation of that is that Mara's plans end up with her having godhood in some form or fashion and by nature of her being so undeniably confident that her plans will come to fruition that there is no gap for Riven to feed on there Ooh, that means I like that. that means that that Mara's plans succeed, and that Mara becomes some level of godhood, and by obtaining that level of godhood, a god in this sense would be able to know everything going forward and everything that happened in the past, 
and potentially, this might be a stretch, but potentially make sure that those past, it, it's it's kind of the, the chicken and egg thing. Like if yeah. she succeeds, then everything that happened in the past had to have happened that way exactly for her to have succeeded. Um, and, you know, perhaps in, in her godly state, she will make sure that those past events always happen that way exactly to, to lead her to this. This is like a self-appointed chicken in the egg thing, though. <laughs> kind of, sort of. Like... But, <laughs> but, that final statement for sure, then to me, you are not yet a god. And the fact that Riven was able to feed on that one thing, that one thing of Mara desiring, of asking sure, do not worship me, for then we cannot, we cannot have, you cannot have a relationship between lovers that is unequal if you assume everything I do is omniscient and correct. And the reason Riven is able to feed off of that is because Mara, even in saying that, and Sure in saying, okay, knows that that's not how it actually is knows that there's no way Shiraido won't come to worship her. And, and so they both deny the truth. They desire something different than what that something is. And, uh, and it, it does. It drives them apart. It, it, it does so gently, but it does drive them apart, as expressed in that last little paragraph. And eventually their, their relationship becomes something more of you know they have fond memories of each other yep and the the only i guess the very last thing that i wanted to kind of question here is do are we for sure who riven fed off of in that instance was it feeding was was riven feeding off of mara in the sense that now it could finally could feed or was riven feeding off of sheer in the in the sense that sheer possibly desired for Mara to become a god, it could have been both. Um, it doesn't specify. It just says for there was a crevice between what was and what was wanted. Um, sure. It doesn't specify by who. I I think you could argue both in this instance. Yeah. I mean the 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 um, car don't care that they're granting wishes or or desires or whatever, they just want to feed. Yeah, yeah, they're like, just it, hungry. It doesn't, it doesn't matter one way or another, them right? Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, to to loop back briefly, you know that that's why Aldrin can't talk to the Ahamkara because <laughs> if anyone is an example of someone wanting to be something different than what they were, Aldrin is the the textbook case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so here um, we're going to dive a little more into Riven in particular, um, just for a, a lore card's worth here. Um, and this comes uh, during the creation of the Dreaming City, uh, which is not an instantaneous process from the sounds of it, um, and is a very laborious thing that takes a significant amount of time, uh, both with 
uh, Riven and Mara putting quite a bit of effort into its creation. Uh, and here we get a glimpse at um, kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a break, a, a conversation that happens during some of this construction of the city. So this is um, from the book called The Dreaming City, uh, the chapter that's just titled Riven, and it goes like this. Mara sits cross-legged in the canopy shade of Riven's wing. She wets the pad of her thumb with the tip of her tongue and then uses the moisture to hold a bundle of fresh-picked asphodelia in place. She ties off the stems with a length of silk-spun gold thread and begins the mindless busywork of braiding in all the expected accoutrements. A serrated fang, a shotgun shell, a cloudy amethyst crystal. Riven turns to watch. On this day, her head is the size of a fallen pike. She is a vibrant blue with a yellow and red crest, and her pupils are crescents within their lidless eyes. After a time, she says, Mada is dead, but you make him no bouquet. Mara looks up, struck by the novelty of the moment. She studies Riven and swallows the first words that come to her tongue, which are Mada's bones are whispering at this very moment on Venus. Instead, she asks, You mourn him? That crescent pupil contracts, as thin as a sickle's edge. No. Having found the true answer, Mara resumes her work. A while passes in silence until she says, Ahamkara have no traditions. No. No sentiment. No. Mara bites off a piece of thread. Why did you allow my brother to spirit you away? You know this truth, wise queen. He is so full of succulents. Hmm. And why do you roost here when there is rich hunting beyond my reef? Truly, I say to you, here Mara hides a smile, the Awoken have entrusted what will be to your queen, and thus they are all as dry as stone to me. Pleasantly so, for wetness is sweet food, but dry stone is a friendly basking place. You, you are as hot and flat as the plateaus of mercury, and your heat stirs my blood to move. Mara nods and says nothing more, though she thinks a while on the three-parted curse used by Ahimkara to mark their prey, the shackle between appellated and appalling. When she finishes her memorial bouquet, she unfolds herself and rises to stretch. Riven does the same. As she relaxes, she spreads and shuffles and shakes her pinions until they all lie straight. The land around them is shapeless rock that will become an abad to those who left behind. Mara will honor her enemies and friends alike in stone. She will build grand cathedrals veneered in amethyst and agate. 
Riven butts her rounded snout under Mara's hand and waits. Let us find Kelda, Mara says. And that's the end of that one. It's interesting here that Riven, throughout this whole thing, very much seems as like, uh, at least through this entry, seems like a... Um, like a like a I, I hesitate to say equal, but very much a a friend as much as anything else. And at the very end, for whatever reason, in my mind, when it says Riven butts her ra- her rounded snout under Mara's hand and waits, makes me think of a dog. Like a little bit. Like yeah. she's a <laughs> she's more of a pet than a uh, than a than an equal. You know. Yeah, I I don't necessarily think that's um that's to indicate that she's not an equal or that Mara's treating her as a, a pet in any way. I think that's more just a how else is a bipedal dragon thing gonna show <laughs> affection, you know? <laughs> like right. they can't exactly well, like lay a hand on your shoulder kind of thing. I mean so I there's a few things in here that I that I am curious about. And it it it's it's okay, let's start off with questions first. Uh question number one. And this is this is kind of veering off the path of the awoken and more into the Ahamkar themselves to try to figure out some some ideas here. Question number one when where where were the um the great hunts was it primarily on any particular planet or was it across the entire solar system uh or do we know i don't know if it was only on venus but i think it was primarily on venus okay that actually is going to lead me into my fan theory number one when you uh transmat into the vault of glass uh there are dragons in the sky. I've never thought to look up. <laughs> They're super, super tight. And it's, it's only during the cutscene that you see them. And it's for like a split second. I mean, it is literally like maybe 10 frames that they're there. It's so short. I say 10 frames. Like it's, it, They're obviously there for about a second, maybe two that you see them. And they're super tiny and they're flying. Um, and next next time we go into into vault, I'll 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 try to point them out to you. Yeah. I'm assuming that the Ahamkara are primarily based out of Venus. That seems to be a safe assumption. I couldn't tell you why. Right. But it does seem like that every time I hear of them mentioned in the Great Hunts or even here when they're mentioning um that this other Ahamkara, uh Who's named? What was it again? Um, Man, Man, Mandar, uh, Madad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again on Venus. So it seems to be their base of operations for whatever reason. So that's that's gonna. So again, using kind of these multiple points to to jump through. Do we think that the Ahamkara were drawn to Venus because of Ishtar Collective? Or were the Ishtar Collective possibly there studying Ahamkara during the Golden Age? 
I don't off the top of my head know of any recordings of the Golden Age citizens coming in contact with Ahamkara. It's not impossible, but nothing springs to mind immediately without digging into it. Because that, that would be interesting if that was a thing. Because then that would mean that Mara um, would possibly have knowledge of Ahamkara through way of the ship AI um, or the ship's computers uh, the same way that they had knowledge of... Um, oh, God, I can't even remember what, what we were talking about two or three episodes ago. Uh, that we were, que- we were questioning whether or not they knew of, of something and then... Like in the ship's logs, it was listed as such as like classified information, and so they clearly had knowledge of. Oh, it. Vex. Anyway. Vex. They know Vex, about that's the right. Vex. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because Vex. Were, that's right. Because Vex were being studied on Venus in the Ishtar Collective. Um. So that's. I'm curious if I, Mara knew about the Ahamkara. Mara may have known again about like that there was an entity of some sort. I would be very reluctant to think the Ahamkara were a known thing or were even in the soul system prior, you know, during the golden age, because I can imagine if they were around Clovis Bray would have stopped at nothing (laughs) to get one and wish himself into immortality. (laughs) I I I never even, (laughs) I never even thought of that. But that's you're not wrong. <laughs> okay, so the will operate under the assumption that Ahamkaras did not exist in the soul system prior to the collapse. Because you are not wrong. <laughs> oh God! Imagine if like the can a war mind make a wish? Can a war mind have a desire? I would argue Rasputin probably can now. Um, can Siva? Siva, I don't think so. Because Siva is not an AI, as I understand it. It's just a programmable it. matter thing. Right? right, it's just, it, it's given a program and it executes it you know, without any kind of like moral distinguishing whether it should or not. It just does. <laughs> I mean, Yeah. <laughs> I like that little tidbit you put on the end there without any moral <laughs> anything. <laughs> um, okay. So, okay. So, so gathering all these points of, about Ahamkar that I kind of derailed the entire Awoken timeline off of. Since the, since the Ahamkara seemed to be based purely out of um, Venus, I, I'm going to assume that's where Uldren found Riven while traveling around Venus or near Venus. Um, Say it's a safe assumption, yeah. Yeah. And then that possibly that uh, Madad um, is is that particular Ahamkara dead because of the Great Hunts? Or is it, or did it, or do we know anything about it? I I was curious if there was any other mention of that particular Ahamkara. Let's find out. Um, Yay, live research. So I see this could be interpreted as one of two ways, uh, depending on if more information about this particular Ahamkara is found anywhere. 
uh, and it is not. It only appears in that lore card, according to okay. the Ishtar Collective site. Um, so we could, in- I think we could interpret this as that Ahamkara was either killed by Aldrin, and perhaps Riven was the the. Yeah, I'm speculating a lot here, but I could see this being Aldrin had a fight with what he saw was a dragon and <laughs> killed it. And then the the young Ahamkara it left behind is what he brought to his sister. Sure. Um, or perhaps it was clearly Riven had some kind of relationship with this Madad or, or, or an acquaintance at the very least. Enough for Mara to ask if Riven mourns their passing, and sure. for Riven to to question a little bit, why didn't Mara make a a bouquet for for this Madad Ahamkara? Um, so clearly some connection to Riven and perhaps Mara, uh, in some way, but other than that, is yeah, it's just all speculation. Sure, sure, and I, I guess that's that was that was more what I was trying to figure out is is do we have definitive things that we can draw from any of this? And it seems like the only definitive things that we can draw from is, uh, and not even I can't even say definitive. Uh, Ahamkara seem to be based out of Venus or drawn to Venus somehow. Um, Madad, um, which now reading it as 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 seeing it. I almost read it. Want to read it as my dad? Yeah. Right. Like, so I'm curious if that's like a, if that was like Riven's dad or something. Like that'd be that'd be kind of cute. Uh, I mean, it'd be, it's uh, cute, but that's fucked up too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it is interesting because immediately afterwards, when she's saying, "Well, you didn't make a bouquet for for Madad," um, and Mara asks him, "Do you do you mourn them?" And Riven says, "No," which I think implies Mara's like is picking up on the no means yes in that scenario. Um, oh, sure, sure. And then Mara asks, why did you let my brother take you? Which, putting those together makes me think that Riven was under the care of Madad in some way. Aldrin either came upon the already dead Madad and young Riven or killed Madad and took young Riven. and. Uh, and Mara's question is, well, why, why did you even allow to be taken after this thing happened? And, uh, and it was essentially because Aldrin was delicious, apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we know why he can't be fed on, or why he's not allowed to talk to her, at least. Yeah. Uh, so I get until we learn other information, I think one of those two scenarios is probably what happened. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that's, you know me, I like, I like trying to dive as, as, uh, deep into some of this stuff. And Ahamkara stuff is just, I, I will never not be intrigued by anything Ahamkara related. Like, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they know that they're in a video game and they want out. So, this leads us into our next lore entry we're going to discuss tonight. It is about a different 
new creature to the reef. Uh, this one comes to us from the Dreaming City lore book as well. And is, it is entitled Savin. And it goes like this. Now in time, Aldrin, Queen's brother, returned to the reef with a new creature. He had killed it twice in ambush, he said, to be certain it could not die. It had once been an awoken man, and recognizing it, Mara turned away from her plans for the Dreaming City and watched it coolly. It is a guardian, she said. Once it was Chao Mu. He had left the reef alone, knowing that he could never return or see his family again to repair a failing climate controller in what had once been Earth's Gobi breadbasket. He had said he could not bear to watch the world wither. Bow before the queen, Aldrin said, giving him a shove. The awoken man looked at him and then back at Mara. Your majesty, he said, bowing. My name is Savin. You do not remember your wives? He did not. You do not remember your child, who is now a hundred and ten? He did not. You do not remember your passion, which was the insulation of minutely sensitive detectors from all but the most specific and subtle radiations? He did not, except that he had said he could touch magnetic fields and loved to tweak the minuscule weave of the circuits in his robe. He had a zoo-goer's enthusiasm for particle physics. To what do you owe your loyalty? Your Majesty, Savin, who was Chao Mu, said, My ghost told me that I am a guardian of the Traveler, reborn in its light. I was not a day old when your brother waylaid me. And he caused to appear from his body a machine like a sphere cradled in a broken cube, which bobbed imperatently and blinked at the queen. You'll make an enemy of the city and every guardian in it if you keep us against our will, the machine warned them. But we would gladly be your allies if you desire it. The city has no idea of your existence except faint myths among the awoken on earth. Does it speak for you? The queen challenged Savin, who was Chao Mu. I speak for myself, Savin, who was Chao Mu, answered. Behold! And he drew forth from the quantum vacuum a shrieking singularity, which he held between his hands and then telescoped down into nothing. Are you intrinsically good? The, question the queen asked. I hope so, he answered. The queen knew this was a lie, or misapprehension. She was aware of the risen and the cruel fiefdoms they had sometimes enabled. However, perhaps the ghosts that made the risen were destroyed or had become enlightened. Now the queen asked the Techians to assess the differences between the Chaomu they remembered and this Savin returned as a guardian of the Traveler, using their most sensitive physical and psychological tests. 
Most of all, though, the queen was curious about the reaction of her ahimkara, which had begun to salivate and to assume a form more like the guardian expected, monstrous and befanged. But her brother whispered urgently to her, We must know how to kill it, Mara. There are more every day. Savin, the guardian, showed a tremendous fondness for doing things. He had a pathologically task-oriented nature, which made him very useful to the reef. Yet there was always the sense that his ghost was watching, observing, and reporting. And Savin was most of all greedy, not in the grasping manner of the petty, but in an enormous, all-consuming way, for he desired materials and experiences that would temper him into a better guardian. And he was always experimenting with his strange powers in foolish ways that left him briefly dead, seeking a new super-ability, or some way to make my grenades faster. He grew tired of performing trivial tasks about the reef, complaining that the dangerous repairs he made were endless and boring, that he wanted to move on to new worlds. He leapt into space, repeatedly and without reason, as if death were no more traumatic than a hop off a curb. Obsessed with reward and efficiency, he would rather do one profitable thing a thousand times than waste his effort on a less beneficial novelty. By the end of her acquaintance with Seven, Mara had decided she did not like this traveler and what it did to people. Yet she had also decided she felt a strange kinship and sympathy for it, this cornered, desperate god making infinite sacrifices out of its people. Perhaps the earth would be better off if the traveler vanished or was destroyed, she thought. Even in the reef, she felt as if she were living next to a torch held up in a dark wilderness, calling out across the galaxy to hungry things with too many eyes. And that's the end of that one. So there's there's one particularly long paragraph that I, that I want to hyper-focus on. Uh, but before I jump into that one, uh, I just kind of want to do a rundown of, of everything else in here. Um, so this is... I, Obviously, it's a guardian uh, that Ultron killed the day after it was rest. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> I was going to say, there's some karma coming Ultron's way. <laughs> that's, that's literally what I was thinking when, when you read that. I was like, well, this is, uh, this is kind of, you know, come full circle eventually. Uh, but yeah, it talks about the memory loss. You know, you don't you don't remember your lives. You don't or you don't remember your wives. You don't remember your child. You know, you don't remember your passion. None of this. Um, and then you know, they, you know, what what what? Where's your loyalty lie? And he's like, I'm a I'm a guardian. I'm a I'm a guardian of the traveler reborn in the light. So at this point now, this is I think very important to note here. Um, my ghost told me that I am a guardian of the traveler reborn in its light. Guardian is the, uh, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, a guardian is the military, and I put that in quotation marks, um, arm of the 
city light bearers, correct? Yeah, so by by identifying as a guardian, you are identifying as a guardian of the city, which would imply this is happening during the city age. Like the the city has has been built enough to be calling itself the last city. That's that was the point that I wanted to make there. That exact point that the, the last city is now the last city and it is calling itself the last city underneath the traveler. Yeah. And it's we're and they're the the light bearers are being referred to as guardians, not not risen, not warlords, not iron lords anymore. Yep. They are truly, you know, establishing themselves as guardians and to the point now where even ghosts are the very first thing they're telling their risen is you are a guardian of the traveler. Come with me to the city. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, so yeah. Um, so again, just a bunch of, bunch of different things kind of being pointed out there. Uh, you know, and, and it even talked about the city has no idea of your existence except through faint myths among the awoken on earth. So even like you were saying earlier, uh, uh, in in this episode that we're recording right now, that even the Awoken that have come to Earth have possibly started to forget about the Reef. Um, or at least wanted to keep it secret. Like, you know. Uh, and then then it asks, or then the Queen asks, or of course he shows off a, a what is essentially, I would think would be like a, a Vortex grenade or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um little mini black hole um and then the queen asks are you intrinsically good and he says i hope so and i i like that i like that you know i you know i i think i'm good i i hope i'm good <laughs> which even the queen doesn't know what to take that as like she doesn't know if it's lie or a misapprehension she doesn't know if she's if if they've just been it's been so long since the risen and and the and the the cruel fiefdoms that that they had sometimes enabled, um, that you know maybe the maybe the ghosts have gotten a little smarter and decided, hey, maybe we don't res people who are intrinsically bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then she wants to run all these tests on them uh, specifically to see the reaction of the Ahamkara, which is now actively starting to feed on this guardian. I don't think it was. I don't think she was running tests to see the the reaction of Haramkara. I think she was. She saw Riven react and was curious as to why. Um, gotcha. Because it says uh, the queen was curious about the reaction of Haramkara, which began to salivate and assume a form more like the guardian expected, monstrous and befanged. And for anyone that isn't up to snuff on Ahamkara, they're shapeshifters. They can change their form. Uh, so presumably it was something much more docile, and then in the presence of this guardian, it hungered and became what the guardian thought, I assume, a wish dragon should look like. Yeah. <laughs> um... Okay, and then we get to the paragraph that I want to hyper-focus on, because it, it it's kind of messed up, but it's, it's so true. Okay, so Savin the Guardian showed a tremendous fondness for doing things. 
He had a pathologically task-oriented nature, which made him very useful to the Reap. Basically, they're canonizing why Guardians do bounties. They just feel the need to do shit. (laughs) Um, Yet there was always the sense that his ghost was watching, observing, and reporting, which we now know is kind of a half-truth. Like, it's observing, but it's not necessarily reporting anything. Like, we, we know that there's no interconnected network between the ghost or even between the ghost and the traveler or anything. So that's, you know. Yeah. But the. Not the necessarily reporting. Awoken didn't know that, though. At least right. not at this time. Uh, and Savin was most of all greedy, not in the grasping manner of the petty, but in, the, in, in, the, in an enormous, all consuming way. For he desired materials and experiences that would temper him into a better guardian. So basically saying he's loot-oriented. They, they canonized why Guardians <laughs> love loot. Well, loot-oriented... So I take this as, as one of two ways. I take this as the fourth wall-breaking meta way, and I take this oh, as sure. the like in-game actually has some interesting, uh, interesting you know, connotations way. Uh, the out-of-game meta way is... This is them taking an opportunity to call out every single player and say they are unendingly greedy for content not just loot that. but experiences that make them a better guardian it is this is maybe them saying like no matter how much we make of this game it is never enough for you people <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what i was gonna get to too because it, it even says uh further on um where is it? Uh, he grew tired of performing trivial tasks about the reef, so basically he got bored with that expansion, complaining that the dangerous repairs he made were endless and boring, and that he wanted to move on to new worlds, wanting new expansions and new content. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, the fact that he, they canonized loot, and then saying that he he experimented in strange powers with his strange powers in foolish ways that left him briefly dead, um, so possibly accidentally threw a grenade at his feet and did a bunch of damage to himself. Uh, and seeking a new super ability or some way to make my grenades faster. So like that would be getting loot that has increased discipline to make your grenade cool shorter. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, yeah. They they also they they do um canonize the general guardian populace's tendency to grind for loot uh, for a god roll or whatever it may be um, by saying obsessed with reward and efficiency he would rather do one profitable thing a thousand times than waste his effort on a less beneficial novelty Um, yeah again kind of a call out (laughs) Uh, oh absolutely in in the sense of like we we can build something really cool for you to experience but you are not gonna give a shit about it unless we put (laughs) something a a a neat gun at the end that makes you want to come back like no no one's no one's ever doing anything in this game just for the sake of doing it outside of maybe the first time yeah so all you guardians out there, maybe maybe take the time to do a bounty or two or a <laughs> patrol or something. 
and just taking taking the sights, you know? Just taking the sights for five minutes and quit <laughs> bitching that something is broken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This whole paragraph literally canonizes, like, the typical Destiny 2 player. And it's kind of fucked up. But it's so true that I can't even be mad at it. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, and if we if we decide to take this a different way, if we decide to to go, okay, this is not, you know, we look beyond the meta, the meta narrative here. The last, the last bit, um, by the end of her acquaintance with Savin, Mara had decided she did not like this traveler and what it did to people. That might imply, now I don't, I don't know if Mara is specifically saying there she doesn't like the fact it makes people forget their previous life. or if she's saying she thinks the traveler when it is resurrecting somebody is innately putting these personality traits into that person to make them Ooh. endlessly want to do things for the sake of becoming a better guardian. Now there's an interesting thought because we've always focused on like, what does it take to become a guardian? You know, the, the sacrifice, the devotion, bravery, all that stuff. And how does a ghost choose a guardian? We've never thought of what does it put into a guardian? What traits does it inherently make that being that just essentially zombie? What, in, what traits does it put into that body? That's an interesting thought. Because by Mara's telling, she knew this, this awoken Chao Mu before they were a guardian. And yep. Chao Mu, very similarly to the guardian Savin, had a, a love for particle physics. And that trait remained. Yep. But by her specifically pointing out the fact that this guardian was so greedy for new experiences and materials and things to hone itself to to become a better weapon makes it sound like the original chow mu was not that way i think i think you're right there i think i think we we're kind of discovering something about guardians right now or at least in this entry that ghosts aren't necessarily they're they're, they're not just bringing back a body to bring back a body they're not they're not bringing back um a specific being because of its, you know, that that being's innate uh, desire to be driven forward by by a cause or a purpose or something. It's also able to put in traits of, hey, you want to you want to go for loot, you want to to make yourself better, you want to do this stuff, and so now that's becoming a a subconscious um drive for a a newly risen guardian. Now I think it's also worth mentioning when this lore book and this lore entry came out uh as far as in in the real world. Uh this sure. this lore entry um and the book The Dreaming City was released with the Forsaken expansion. The Forsaken expansion uh did a lot of things to revitalize the game. The biggest of them being it brought back random rolled loot. And 
if if we are going to approach this as more of a meta narrative, and I think it it probably is more meant to be that way, kind of a tongue in cheek way of uh, of calling people out a little bit. Um, oh sure. There, you know, one of the biggest pitfalls of original Destiny Two of Vanilla Destiny Two was that the loot you got was static. When you got yep. a, a particular piece of, when you got a particular gun once, you had it forever essentially that was the only role it was ever going to have and i don't think it's a coincidence that on the expansion that drops that changes that from one and done loot to endlessly grindable random rolled loot they put in an entry about the this greed and desire of materials and experiences uh so <laughs> that definitely is starting to sound like it's more canon than <laughs> more more canon canonizing the <laughs> the typical destiny 2 player than anything now i'm i'm kind of leaning in that way yeah but That's i think it's funny. worth pointing out that it could be taken either way with as the the meta sure. explanation or the in-game explanation i think both have their merits um, absolutely but yeah so just Something, something to think about. Maybe take the time and smell the roses every once in a while, people. Jesus. You're not just a, a loot farming, nightfall grinding herd of sheep. Yeah. Or maybe you are. I guess canonically we are. Maybe, maybe you know, read some lore cards while you're sitting in orbit waiting for your Aww. PvP queue. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. Just a thought. <laughs> okay, so that that brings us to what our next. Uh, we got what? A couple more lore entries. Yeah. So we have a couple more lore entries that we have planned for tonight. Um. So I don't have a particular lore entry to discuss the kind of leadings up to this. Um. But the next big event in Awoken history is going to be still technically part of the reef war um and that is the battle between the house of wolves and the reef and to to preface a little bit what brought this battle on was during the the very early uh sitting uh beginnings of the city age uh the city was still vulnerable like they were in the process of building up the walls it was not the the bastion of defense that it is now. And the fallen were still very much the main um, antagonists against humanity. Constantly raiding and trying to, you know, they wanted to wipe us out. Uh, yep. And they had tried to do so through the various houses on their own to... Um, usually very little success being pushed back by the, the forces of the guardians and the iron Lords and had decided, had all come together and decided we need to unite all the houses and lead a, a united front against the city once and for all to end this. And um, that's where we get some of our most famous battles from. The Battle of Six Fronts, the Battle of Twilight Gap. All of those were part of this giant 
a campaign by all the fallen houses uniting to go against the city to try and wipe them out once and for all. And the House yeah, it's of not Wolves, just a PvP map. not just a PvP map that everyone hates. Uh, <laughs> the House of Wolves were one of the larger houses, if I recall correctly, that were going to take take part in this battle. And uh, they were flying in to to Earth with their fleets um, from I, I forget exactly where they were based, but they were flying uh, from you know, elsewhere in the solar system to Earth. And in order to get there, they passed through the reef. I'm, I'm curious if most of them came from Reese Reborn on, uh, on Europa. I don't know if Reese Reborn was around yet. I, I had always thought that Reese Reborn was built by Aramis on Europa. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I don't know off the top of my head. But, uh, but regardless, so to give a glimpse into how this went uh we are going to be looking at the lore card called wanted skolas kell of kells uh, who is the leader of the house of wolves at the time and this technically comes from a lore book that has been entitled the myriad uh that i believe is from destiny one but okay regardless um so this one goes like this. The transmission was broadcasted on all fallen frequencies. Lacking, at the time, the ability to crack fallen encryptions, the Master of Crows could discern only that the fallen houses were all, taking, were all talking to each other. That was a thing that had never happened before. Then the Techians looked earthward and saw the fallen there becoming bolder, Tactics suggested they were planning a massive attack. We had no interplanetary arrays, no way to warn Earth. We thought we would be able to do nothing but watch. But then the wolves arrived from the Jovians. Their army was hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions strong. A dark wave that washed over the reef, rushing toward Earth. As soon as we saw them, it was clear that if the wolves reached Earth, the city would fall. Seemingly oblivious to our existence, the bulk of the wolf fleet stopped to regroup at Ceres. The Queen's decision was this. Attack the House of Wolves, thereby saving Earth, but revealing the Reef's presence to any and all enemies in the quadrant or remain silent, preserving the reef's invisibility, but allowing the city to perish. Her harbingers ripped into Ceres, destroying the asteroid and killing Virexus, Kell of wolves, and more than half of his house. The remaining wolves scattered, burrowing deep into the belt for cover. There, new claimants to Kelship quickly arose. Irxis, Wolf Baroness, Paraxis, the Howling, and Skolas, the Rabbit. So that's the end of that particular Lord card. Uh, you meet Skolas. 
for those that remember Prison of Elders in D1. <laughs> I I do miss Prison of Elders. I I, I think it uh, yeah. It was a fun activity. I'd be okay with them it bringing was. it back. It was. I I I think it was a fun one. Uh so yeah, so like it it, it straight up says Jovian from the Jovians. So I mean it I th- I think that I think Reach Reborn is older than Aramis. May very well be. Um now technically the Jovians refer to Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Okay, so it, the the larger um Snoop. I can't remember if Neptune and Uranus are both gas giants. I think they I don't are. Think they are. Uh, are they? Uh a planet designated as Jovian is hence a gas giant. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Are. So it's just straight. Okay. So coming from the the outer reaches of the of the soul system passing through the the reef which we know is in the is in the um, asteroid belt on its way to Earth. And then Mara is just like, well, you know, if we if we kill him on the way here, if we attack him on the way here, yeah, we'll be known, but we'll save Earth. So still kind of fulfilling that original debt that Mara feels mm-hmm. to Earth. Yeah, and I, I just want to highlight here the insurmountable odds they are up against in this. Oh, the, yeah. The army of the wolves is described here as being hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions strong. Millions of fallen geared up and ready to lay siege to to the last city. And, you know, the, we don't know how many Awoken are alive at this point, but probably not Surely in not the millions. millions. Yeah. And they're probably not <laughs> yeah. all, you know, military trained. I'm sure there's there's plenty of jobs to go around in a society there. Uh, so the other thing that's equally impressive here is that Mara decides, yes, we're going to attack them. We're going to reveal our position to them and, and, and all other enemies, but protect the city. And her opening move is to use harbingers, which are seen, are only ever seen, uh, in the, uh, taken King cinematic which we will we'll talk about in later episodes. Um, she unleashes these harbingers, which are these super destructive entities, for lack of a better term, that she has control over, ripped into Ceres, destroying the asteroid, killing the Kel of the House of Wolves at the time, Viraxis. So re- removing leadership... And more than half of his house. So more more than this is like half nuclear a million. Weapon. I mean, this is like me more powerful than nuclear weapon. Just instantly cut their forces in half. Five hundred thousand at least gone. With with her is, opening salvo. Are are the are the harbingers the same? So I know I know I knew they were the same in the as the ones in the Taken cinematic. Is it the same that we see when we when we're in the Last Wish raid? Is is this is this the ontological weapon? I don't think so. Be only because um, I believe that Mara is the only one that has control over them. Gotcha. Uh, I also didn't know if the ontological uh, portion of of uh, of um... Is is it only ontological because those uh, witches are taken? Perhaps 
I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, let's say I think that might be another one of Bungie's made up words. <laughs> hey, I am gonna use it as a real word because <laughs> it's not on on orthogonal. Okay, no, I'm wrong. Orthogonal is in like a straight line. It is a weird. It is a real word. Um, but it it means uh a branch of metaphysics dealing with the nature of being. So it, it's unmaking you from time, from, from existence. From existence. Yeah. Um, so that might be a taken thing. It's either a taken thing. It could be a extreme version of awoken paracausality. That's true. Uh, and that might be why only Techians and Mara have any any semblance of wielding that power because they are the ones that specifically train all their lives in this paracausal, you know, abilities. Yeah. But yeah, so these harbingers destroy Ceres and 500,000 plus of the house of wolves. And in a very bombastic way, uh, Mara shows that the awoken of the reef do exist. And are armed. Yeah. <laughs> and and don't don't fuck with us, buddy. I'm curious if that's if that's as much of a show of force to the to the uh, um to the fallen as it is to the city, right? Like, oh yeah, because up until this point, they're all just kind of myths and 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 stories. No, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, up until this point, the Awoken are just kind of a kind of the secretive thing and now to to be shown full force like yeah we could we could just obliterate half an army with a you know single single salvo and uh call it good i i think it's very much a a show of power of you know a it was probably a um a tactical decision you know if you have the opportunity to wipe out half of the enemy force especially when they outnumber you in such an extreme way you're, you're probably good to do it <laughs> as yeah, as the first strike, absolutely. especially. Um, absolutely, but yeah, definitely a a show of like, do not take us lightly. Yeah, uh, the battle continues. the The reef wars continue um, for quite some time. Skolas ends up becoming the the Kel of the House of Wolves and leading assaults on the various uh, reef installations, um, causing many casualties on both sides. And uh, is eventually captured. And uh, we see how this comes to fruition in the lore card, uh, also from the Myriad, which is entitled Wanted Calyx. 12. And this one goes like this. In desperation, Skolas personally led an all-out assault on the military fortress of Cybel. Little did he know that the queen knew of his plans, thanks to the word of Varix of the House of Judgment. No sooner had Skolas's catches arrived at the asteroid then all four Armada Paladins, Abra Zyre, Kamala Rior, Liana Brill, and Hallam Fenn, caught him in a pincer movement. Calix Twelve, the High Servitor of Skurvis the Sharp-Eyed, tried to escape, 
but Abrazire chased it down. Skolas's Cybella uprising had failed. He, Scrivix, Calchas Twelve, and the rest of his leaders were cast into the Queen's prison, and the Reef Wars were over. And that's the end of that one. Uh, just, just like that. Boop! Done. <laughs> now, there, there's a lot of fighting in between uh, that sure. isn't really described anywhere. <laughs> I was going to ask, do we have any more lore entries on the, on the Reef Wars? Or it's just like, yeah, Reef uh, Fallen showed up. We're going to kill Earth. <laughs> Mara said no. Blew up half their forces. They said, ah, oh, shit. And got captured and end of war. Is this more of like a, a reef skirmish rather than a reef war? <laughs> right, right. The only other mention we really have of the the this portion of the reef wars um, is that uh, the queen and her techians created an illusion of harbingers to trick the remaining wolves into thinking they were destroying the Hildean asteroids, um, which caused the wolf fleet to break ranks. Uh, and allowed the awo- the awoken army to capture many of their leaders. So at, at this point, um, Skolas was already uh, yeah, commanding a a much smaller army than yeah. what he had started with. Uh, he was desperate, trying to find some measure of uh, you know making a a big dent in this sudden enemy force. And um, ended up, due to the betrayal of Varix, who uh, even in-game now people are familiar with on Europa, prior to his time in Europa, he, uh, by, by enacting this betrayal on the House of Wolves, um, earned his spot as a kind of assistant to the Queen for some time in the Reef uh, by you know, delivering Skolas to her. And we saw that in D one as well. Like uh, mm-hmm. um, now, again, we're we're not to that point yet in the in the Woken story, but uh, Varix was a vendor there um, specifically for the. And I was going to ask, but I think I think I I answered my own question by by thinking of the timeline of events here. Um, this is the first capture of Skolas, right? Like this Correct. this particular instance was not the um, House of Wolves DLC for D one, correct? Correct. So these these okay. lore cards are coming from the House of Wolves, um, but they're the events they're referring to are the original Reef Wars. Gotcha. So the the this is we're getting these same lore entries in the in the same way that the we're getting the Dreaming City and the Maracena stuff that came out with that particular expansion, but those events took place long before even D even the events of D one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I'm looking at time. Uh, do we want to call it there? Yeah, I think uh, we're going to end tonight with the end of the Reef Wars, and we will pick up on what comes <laughs> next next time. I'm still going to refer to him as the, the Reef Skirmish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Like, she just salvoed, like, boom, half the shit's gone, and they're just like, ah, oh, well, shit. Yeah, now there I, I will say there are some bits that I, I didn't cover that are all in 
that same book, The Myriad, um, which are a little more specific to like fallen tactics during the war and kind of internal uh, fallen politics that weren't really yeah. relevant to the Awoken, which we're really trying to focus on with this series. So there, there okay. is a little more info about that time period. It just wasn't pertinent to, to the topic at hand right now. Um, but if you're interested in it, I would definitely go check out that, that Myriad book. Or, or wait for us to cover the history of the Fallen. Because let's that say we've done, yeah. <laughs> we've done the history of the Hive through the Books of Sorrow. We've, we've done the history of the Cabal. We're doing the history of the Awoken. Now we're going to get the history of the Fallen. Man, all we got left is Fallen and Vex. Ain't much left to cover as far as history or history of peoples. Exo. Oh, oh, Clovis, <laughs> mother Bray. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, well, cool. Uh, do we have any cool shout outs to give tonight? Say nothing in particular tonight. Um, which is is fine. Say we don't have any new new reviews or anything. That's that's all right. We uh, we know you guys are still listening, which is more than enough for us. Uh, Absolutely. We're up to what twenty five? Yeah, twenty five k. Or yeah, I did want to point out that I think we we are over just over twenty five thousand now, which is pretty phenomenal. I can have an exact number here in just a moment. Mind blowing to me. I I still I still remember mentioning at one point in time. I think back in like maybe March or April that we may get to 50,000 listens by the, by the end of the year. And I mean, we're looking at what the, today is July 4th. That's basically halfway, half, halfway point of the year. And we're at 25,000, 25,000 to go. Yeah. We are at uh, actually almost 26. We're 25.6 thousand um, right now, which is pretty darn cool. So I absolutely say th- thank you everybody that yeah. uh that is continuing to listen to our our crazy selves and um is hopefully enjoying it and uh we're we're gonna we're gonna keep it going yeah well i'm gonna give my thank you tonight to uh Savin, uh for showing us canonically why d2 players can sometimes be turds <laughs> or why we do the things we do uh, so thank you, Savin. Uh, Myth, anything else? No, I think that's it. Alrighty. Well, from all of us lore nerds to all of you Guardians out there, we'll see you next week. <laughs>